Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City Branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you in part by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. You're at a place you just discovered. And being an American Express Platinum card member with Global Dining Access by Resi helped you score tickets to quite the dining experience. Oh, okay, chef. You're looking at something you've never seen before, much less tasted. After your first bite, you say nothing because you're speechless. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your dining experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel, you know when it comes to love. See you soon. Can't wait. The sky is no limit. You know with your Delta Amex card, being oceans apart means meeting in Aruba. And booking a war travel with your card means saving 15% on Delta flights. You know kissing under the bridge of size guarantees eternal love. Because you're the long-distance lovebirds. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Takeoff 15 discount not applicable to partner-operated flights or taxes and fees. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know. When you choose Organic Valley, not only will you be enjoying great-tasting dairy, you'll help to save over 1,600 small organic family farms who are protecting over 400,000 acres of organic farmland and all the plants and animals that call it home. This is dairy you can feel good about. It's great tasting, high quality organic dairy, ethically sourced from small organic family farms. To find Organic Valley Dairy near you, visit ov.coop. That's ov.coop. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. 
One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Newark, New Jersey, in particular Newark Liberty International Airport. Why are we here? The, uh, the launch this week of the first commercially scheduled service from Newark to Havana on United Airlines. One of a number of airlines now flying regularly scheduled service from the United States to Cuba and more to come. Uh, we're taking your calls at 888-887-3837. That's 888-88-PETER. And if you can't get through on the phones, you know the drill. You email me to peter at petergreenberg.com with your name, phone number, question or problem. We will solve it right here on the air. And, of course, you can always reach me on uh, Twitter. My handle is at Peter S. Greenberg or Facebook.com slash Peter Greenberg. So much to talk about in the news in the, uh, the post-election madness of uh, what will be affected in travel and tourism, since this is about travel, and what won't. Uh, President-elect Trump rumbling that he might consider rolling back all the progress made in the relationship between the United States and Cuba in terms of uh, travel and tourism, especially, and airline flying rights between the two countries. Uh, that remains to be seen if that's going to happen, but he's opened the door to at least talk about it and basically saying... Uh, Everything's back on the table. Uh, but if you're the CEO of Hilton or Marriott slash Starwood or Hyatt or Wyndham or any one of a number of international hotels like Intercontinental, that statement has to have you at least worried because uh, you thought you had the green light to begin serious investment work in Cuba. Banks, of course, got permission to remove the blocks. You know, merchant terminals are now in place and being installed throughout the country of Cuba to allow them to swipe credit cards. Uh, remember, as of a year and a half ago, a U.S.-based credit card wouldn't even work in Cuba. So another thing to think about. Uh, what does this mean to U.S. travelers? Here you have a situation where just about every U.S. airline is flying from at least one interesting city in the U.S. down to at least one interesting city in Cuba, not necessarily always Havana. That door is open. You have a cruise ship, Fathom, which is going there now, and rest of Carnival will probably be there uh, within the next 12 to 16 to 18 months, along with the other major carriers like Royal Caribbean and, and Celebrity and Norwegian. So that door is open. Have the, have the horses left the barn? Can you put the genie back in the bottle? My argument would be you probably can't because the economics are so strong now, it doesn't benefit anyone. You know, we can look at all the numbers, and it doesn't have to be a case history of Cuba, to realize that travel provides jobs, uh, one of the strongest economic bases that's sustainable. In many cases, is over 10% of uh, GDP in some countries. It's about 10% globally in terms of GDP. And, uh, and Cuba is just the most recent example of a country that was considered off limits to the United States for decades uh, and now isn't. And uh, now, having said all that, I strongly believe that it's not a question of of um, if you're going to go. It's really a question of when you're going to go and then how you're going to go. And when you're going to go may determine how you're going to go. Uh, up until recently, you could only do charter flights. Now you have regularly scheduled air service. You can go in by cruise ship. Uh, and, and pretty soon, even the bigger cruise ships will be going down. All right, but when are you going to go? And I think that's, that's an important consideration right now. Uh, if you want to truly immerse yourself in the Cuban culture, in the Cuban experience, not just in Havana, but in so many cities outside and throughout the country, if you want to enjoy the, you know, the music, the food, 
the history, the the rum, the cigars. Oh yeah, did I mention cigars? Uh, when's the best time to go? Probably last week. Uh, and it's because of infrastructure issues. There are not enough hotel rooms in Cuba to handle the hordes that are going to be wanting to go and that are starting to come. Uh, there are only about 60,000 available hotel rooms in the whole country. So you really can't you know, rush into it because there may be no place for you to stay. However, over 8,000 Airbnb listings now throughout the country of Cuba. That never was the case. So the whole idea is, do you want to go before Kentucky Fried Chicken gets there? Uh, with all due respect to Kentucky Fried Chicken, nothing against them, but that doesn't mean Cuba to me. Uh, I strongly suggest that you take a five-letter word out of your vocabulary, that word being later, and replace it with a three-letter word meaning now, and uh, see it while there's still Cuba in Cuba. Uh, remember, you know, for a country that's only 90 miles off the coast of the United States, um, it's amazing they've been able to retain their culture and, and heritage as long as they have. Uh, now, they've been bootlegging MTV and CNN and American he- uh, you know, hit television shows. They know more about, you know, two broke girls than the two broke girls know. Um, so that, that part's inevitable. But, you know, you go outside of Havana into the countryside and to more rural areas of Cuba, it's the way it was in 1958 when Castro was in the middle of his revolution. So especially now, considering that Fidel has passed away at the ripe old age of 90, uh, I mean, this guy probably holds the record as as, as the Teflon dictator because how many times did the United States try to assassinate him, kill him? Poison his, his food, spike his drink, uh, put pills in him, and he outlasted them all. And he outlived most of them um, as a fierce nationalist and someone who is either revered or reviled. Uh, there's no middle ground. But where there's absolutely no middle ground, in fact, there's no two sides of the story, is this. Whether you're pro-Castro or anti-Castro, pro-Cuba or anti-Cuba, um, you want to go. And the time to go, it's not negotiable, boys and girls. The time to go is now. By the way, on this inaugural United Airlines flight, uh, they kicked off airfares. $200 round trip from Newark. Why couldn't you go at that? Right? Now, will they stay at $200? Not for long. But guess what? We're coming up into, you know, there's always that dead week right after New Year's. Right? There are two dead weeks. The one we're in right now, the week after Thanksgiving, and the one right after after New Year's. And uh, maybe a good opportunity to fly somewhere, could be Cuba, where the airfares are, are, are inexpensive. In fact, uh, in the next hour of the show, I'm going to talk about some bizarre airfare situations caused as a direct result of the American presidential election. Toto, I've a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore.
talking with David Hilfman, who uh, runs all worldwide sales for, for, I almost said Continental. I almost said it. <laughs> because that's how we know each other. Yeah, we started. Man. I know, we did. But, of course, now it's United Airlines in, in the merged state of the Continental United. David, Cuba, as an issue, has always been incendiary. There's all You're either pro or you're con. You're either pro-Castro or, or anti-Castro. Here's a situation where you're launching service I mean, not because it was planned this way, but ironically, just a few days after the death of Fidel Castro at the age of 90. And as much anti-Castro sentiment as is erupting now, which has always been there, um, or pro-Castro sentiment, is it really going to stop people from wanting to go to Cuba? Well, great question. Uh, and yeah, all back to the Condal Day. It's been great ever since the, uh, the merger in 2010 and making all kinds of progress. Well, I want you to know on that question... Yeah, I think we respect and appreciate everyone's opinion. There's a lot of them in this case, and we understand very sensitive. Candidly, people, they just, they, they want to explore. And they want to, I think they, they want to gain a better understanding of, of all that's going on in Havana. And whatever the reason, we just, we want to fulfill our mission and be the great area carrier. And if you want to go, great. And if you don't, we understand that. And, uh, but demand seems to be very high. You know, I remember, I'm old enough to remember, uh, Bay of Pigs and the Cuban Missile Crisis, and then, of course, the Trading with the Enemies Act, and all those years of the embargo. There wasn't a U.S. president, if you read the historical biographies correctly, and I do, and I interpret them correctly, there wasn't a U.S. president that, that didn't want to recognize Cuba and the Castro regime, but they never want to recognize them in the first term because they were worried about losing the Florida vote. And that was Kennedy, of course, who, by the way, the little-known story about Kennedy is that on November 22nd, 1963, the, the very day he was assassinated in Dallas, he had a secret emissary sitting with Fidel Castro to negotiate the terms of reconciliation and, and, and recognition. And while they were about to make the deal, an aide walks into Castro's office and hands him a piece of paper that tells him that Kennedy's been shot and killed in Dallas. And it was Castro who told the American, emiss the American emissary, your president's just been shot and this deal is never going to happen because LBJ will never approve it. And he was right. And it was LBJ, it was then Nixon, it was then Ford, it was then Carter, it was then Reagan, and then it was Clinton, uh, it was Bush, and then it was Clinton. And the interesting thing about Clinton was, Clinton wanted to recognize Cuba at the end of his second term, and the deal was basically pre-negotiated. It was in place, ready to go. And it was going to be done by Al Gore. He was going to sneak down there when nobody was looking, and then there'll be the handshake and the deal done. And like the day before it was going to happen, this little kid washes up in Miami called Ilian Gonzalez, and all bets were off, and the whole thing just blew up. So it's taken another 14 years for this to actually finally happen. Yeah, pretty extraordinary history it is. And again, we, we understand there's all kinds of views, amazing historical references that it, you've talked about. And now that now that uh, you know it, the relations have been legitimized, we're you know we're excited about the chance that out of out of Newark, we're going to take all these people. Customers are ready to go, and and so are our employees. You know, we have a lot of our employees of Cuban descent who are uh, they're excited about this opportunity, and and they're making their way. Bottom line is, you know, your 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 world lives or dies based on demand and yield. 
Um, the initial fares down at Cuba, I understand, are relatively low. Your introductory fares are what, two hundred dollars? Yeah, we'd love to see them a little higher. Yeah, no kidding. You never met an airline guy and said you didn't, you know, meet a higher fare he didn't like. <laughs> right. But you, you have an introductory fare. We do. Very, very good. And you're right, Pete. I mean, there's significant new capacity in the market. Uh, we have a lot of good competitors, and and uh, fact is, we're all buying to get more people. Well, you uh, got JetBlue going out of Kennedy. Yeah. You got you going out of here. You got Delta. Yep. You got American. You have Alaska Airlines. I mean, there's a lot of seats in the market, so a lot of opportunity for people to take advantage of some great pricing. Of and, course, uh, there are not a lot of hotel rooms in the market, and that's the problem with infrastructure once you get to Cuba, which is why there's like 8,000 Airbnb listings right now. Yes. It's crazy. Well, I'm sure if you're a developer, you're finding ways to, to lock into some new uh, building down there. And- well, interestingly enough, David, the, the issue is not that. The issue is long outstanding claims against the Cuban government by companies like Hilton. Uh, which saw their properties appropriated by the Castro regime, and you have you have real title issues here. So what's going to happen is they're never going to be able to determine title. That those those days are over. So what the Cuban government's probably going to do is find new pieces of land for them on a lease deal or a partnership deal to start building. But that's still going to take three years. So you're not going to see new hotel rooms suddenly open up. They're not there yet. So. You know, when you think about what an airline does, it's more than just, and please feel free to disagree with me, but it's more than just selling a seat and flying from point A to point B. It's the infrastructure once you get there. It's tour packages. It's frequent flyer programs. It's people wanting to redeem their miles in a place they want to go, right? Absolutely. Now you, you, and, and now you can do that with your United Airlines. You can, you can redeem frequent flyer miles to go to Cuba. Absolutely. And United Airlines vacations. They, these guys have been on kind of the fronting end. It's, it's handled for us by Mark, a company called Mark Travel, but it's United Airlines vacations. And they were really on the forefront working with uh, a number of the ground operators in Havana. So we're excited about it. But you're right. It is a very complex business. I mean, the primary issue is safe and affordable travel from point A to B. And from there, though, there is a lot to it. So what do you see coming down the road? Right now, you're operating a 7-3 on the route. Are you restricted on the kind of aircraft you can operate? We're not. uh, But, uh, you know, again, as you pointed out, it's all about demand. So as we always evaluate and monitor um, how bookings are and and how we're performing on the route, we're always willing to change the gauge of the aircraft up or down, depending on demand. And right now, we think we've got its great airplane, the Boeing 737-800, and uh, flying similar equipment out of Houston, and we'll just watch it and see how it does. Hopefully, we'll we'll need to add more. Hopefully, we'll need to add a bigger airplane over time. What's your biggest challenge right now? Oh, I think, uh, you know, our biggest challenge is just knowing that, um, you know, there's a lot of good competition. We want to make sure we're getting the message out about how much progress we've made at United, whether it's the great on-time performance or materially improved customer satisfaction. Plus, we're are you, giving, sales, are you giving me a sales pitch? I am. But, you know, the one thing you and I talked about is yeah. we're coming out with a huge new Polaris product, and that's a big deal for us, and it's a major investment. So getting out to uh, make sure everybody knows about that, that's a, good, that's a big challenge on the sales side, and people are going to love it. And then there's on-time performance. On-time performance is absolutely critical. And, uh, you know, we've seen our best on-time performance in the history of the, uh, of the airline since actually our merger back in 2010. So if we haven't seen folks on United lately, yeah, there's my commercial pitch. I think you had to come and join us. You'll, you'll be delighted. <laughs> there's, I knew it was coming. <laughs> there it was. You, once a sales guy, always a sales guy. I knew it. Love you. Are there routes right now that you're looking at that make any sense anymore? And I'll tell you why. In the, in the world of strategic alliances, and all, as you mentioned, so much competition, um, it's tough to start a new route that hasn't been done already. I mean, or that, that already isn't saturated. Because we're living in a world now, at least with U.S. airlines, where, to use an expression, you're practicing capacity discipline. 
and your, your, your shrinking back capacity in, in domestic routes? Well, great question. And I would tell you, Peter, we've got great data, uh, very sophisticated analysis that goes on. Get the input from our salespeople. We're certainly talking to our business partners, travel agents, corporations. So whoever the routes that we're evaluating opportunities, it, there's an enormous amount of of analysis and review that goes into it before we launch. Not everything is risk-free. In fact, most of the time when you're investing aircraft, which can vary anywhere from $100 million to $300 million, and, and that's that's before we even talk about expenses at the airport and, and, and our labor costs, I mean, it's a big deal. But we feel really good uh, based on uh, really how, how much uh, I, I think the work in our scheduling, network, and planning departments have done in, in collaboration with government affairs, sales, marketing, research. And, uh, you know, we just... We don't can't fly anymore just because we think it's great to grow and we want to fly. We we do it because you we can't think grow it's, for the sake of growth. Yeah, we got to grow. We need to grow profitably. Need to do the right thing by our customers and shareholders. And I think United have done a, a really good job of that over the last few years. Frankly, I think the industry has done a better job of that. Uh, certainly, the U.S. Because uh, there was a time when you guys were all in competition to see either who could lose money longer, <laughs> right? I mean, seriously. Well, it was a lot of that. It was probably the, what, what would they often talk about? A very testosterone type business where you had people that wanted to, you know, they wanted to get big and you wanted to see all this just grow for the sake of market share. And the fact is- But it's is, not about market share anymore. No, it isn't. It's, it's about, about yield. It's about profitability and, and flying where strategically in your network, you think long-term it's going to be good for everybody involved. And then you're going to stay in the markets. Yeah. You, you can't just go in and then, and then it doesn't work for a day and you leave. Yeah, you got to be there. You got to stay. Yeah, absolutely. People are looking for reliability. They want consistency, and and that's what we're all about at United. I know the carriers will tell you that, and 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 they should. I mean, that's how you win customers long term. If you are continuing on to another Southwest destination, please make sure that you check the monitors inside the terminal for your proper gate and flight information. If you are continuing on with another airline, we really don't care. We're talking Cuba, the launch of a number of airlines flights nonstop from the U.S. to Havana and other cities throughout the, uh, the, the country of Cuba. And the question then becomes, what about the guys who've been offering these tours and selling Cuba, if you will, to Americans and other travelers for years? What's the impact of this? What does it mean, especially now in terms of the, the recent passing of, of Fidel Castro? Joining me now is uh, Greg Geronimus, who's the co-CEO of Smart Tours. You guys have been doing Cuba tours for years. For several years now, and uh, we're, exci- we're excited by the development of commercial air. Uh, that only helps us bring down the price. Because uh, before that, you were chartering. Yes, uh, the charter, charter air was and quite And charter a bit was very expensive. Yeah, much more expensive. So we're going to say we're going to shave off a much-needed uh, few hundred dollars off the price of a trip to Cuba which will help combat the uh, ever-escalating increases in the hotel prices. Well, yeah, let's talk about that because you got infrastructure problems down there. You only have about 60,000 available hotel rooms. They're already full of Canadians and Europeans who have been going there for five decades. There's a major capacity problem, and there was even before Obama's uh, historic announcement in December 2014, and it's only become exacerbated since then. And it's not just in Havana. It's all throughout the island, further east into Cienfuegos, into Trinidad. Uh, Even even Veradero. 
Veradero is a little bit better because they're they've got these massive resorts for the. the but the Canadians. Jamaicans came yeah, in and exactly exactly they built them. The packages that you were offering before they still were under the twelve available uh, approved designations, if you will, who could go there. Sure, it's uh, by no means was it uh, was it tourism or leisure travel. It was uh, people to people. Not a lot experience. of pool time. That's right. Uh, just a little bit, perhaps in the evenings after you get your full schedule of people to people activities and and exchanges, and you really do get to know the Cuban people. It was a, it's a it is a great way to travel, and it has been for several years. But I would suspect now, I mean, you have a company called Smart Tours, but everybody's jumping on the bandwagon to be in there and, and develop it. They are. The problem is getting hotel space. Tour companies like ourselves, like Smart yet, Tours, you have blocked rooms. We have blocked rooms, and we've uh, we have relationships, so that definitely helps. What are the challenges now? Because everybody wants to be first on their block. Uh, whether they're flying in or sailing in. But if they're sailing in, that's not really an issue because they don't need rooms. They're, they're staying on the ship and they're leaving. But for those who are flying in, what other than rooms, what are the challenges? I would think uh, that the Cubans can't ramp up their cigar production. I, can't, I think that they can't ramp up their rum production. I think they can't ramp Nobody cares about their sugar production because the market's so so low. But for the things that people are coming to expect when they get there. Oh, you're absolutely right. And and it depends on how you're you're arriving to Cuba. If you're going... On your own, uh, there are a whole host of challenges in terms of being able to actually execute on, say, a people-to-people exchange or... Although uh, the way they've defined people-to-people these days, I've said it earlier in the show, if you talk to a bartender, you've had one. That That's true. true. But there are a lot of people who want to really make sure that they're doing the trip by the book. And it depends on you know how careful the traveler is. But you're absolutely right to your previous point about the challenges that we face. Everything is backed up. It's not just the hotel space. Nevertheless, we're still hearing... Okay, let's talk about what's backed up. You talk about transportation, ground transportation? Absolutely. It's very hard to get one of those uh, precious vintage American cars. As Everybody wants one. Yeah. They, not only are they jacking up the price, but they're, you know, they're becoming more and more scarce relative you to the You see, I have travelers. a suspicion that when the door really opens up, the Cubans are going to come to America and buy a lot of used cars. I think that's, I think that's a great point. Right? I, absolutely. Yeah. Because that's what people are expecting when they go there. Yeah, sure. Uh, all right, so you. Have, but I'm not just talking about the about the antique cars. I'm talking about just basic mass transportation issues. It's uh, it was strained to begin with. Uh, they, it was the, the infrastructure was underdeveloped, um, and now you have the the sea of Americans on top of the Europeans, on top of the Canadians, and it's a real challenge. I know that the blocks were lifted on on terminals for credit cards that people are now installing them, so you can swipe a U.S. based credit card, which you could not have done a year and a half mm-hmm. ago. That's I get that. But there's still not enough terminals around. We we recommend that people still follow the practice of bringing as much cash as they need. Dollars uh, or euros? Dollars. Uh, even with the premium that they're charging? Even with the premium because you negate some of the benefit by doing the double exchange. So if you're exchanging from dollars to euros and then euros to... Back to, to dollars. Back to... The, you know, the, the Cuban, Cuban the convertible peso, and then the CUC, and, the, and the CUC, then back into dollars. You're getting hit a couple times. So we actually used to advise that to our clients, and uh, after some feedback that was that was not so kind, uh, we've we've gone back to recommending dollars. Well, all the times I've been to Cuba, I've yet to see a real ATM machine. Oh, neither have I. Riding along in my automobile, my baby beside me at the wheel. And playing the radio with no particular place to go. Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com/slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. 
doing these kinds of agreements between countries is usually difficult with any country. Uh, it's historic when it comes to a country like Cuba, which hasn't seen scheduled U.S. airline service in decades. Joining me now, the, the head of all regulatory affairs for United Airlines, Steve Morrissey. How are you, sir? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Peter. I'm, I'm one of those airline geeks that like looks at the OAG and looks at schedules and tries to figure out how did this airline get a chance to fly between these two non-affiliated countries and all that kind of stuff. Here, we were dealing with rights between the U.S. and Cuba, many of which, well, most of which had been dormant for 50 years. That's right. It's my understanding that the U.S. Department of Transportation essentially deemed them no longer dormant but dead, and you had to start from scratch. That's been their precedent. When they look at, at rights that haven't been able to use for a long time, for whatever reason, whether it's carriers or government restrictions, they've take, always taken the position that you know they'll assess the market when when rights become available rather than just hold them in dormancy. I mean, in a given year, you're not just dealing with Cuba. You're dealing with every agreement that you have with how many different countries is United flying to now? Oh, the, the current number, I think, is 58 as of today. Right, and every one of them wants to be number one on your list or doesn't, <laughs> right, depending on how we're doing, right? That's right. Um, and every country wants, to, in some way or, or another, is protectionist. They want to protect their carrier or their flying rights. At the end of the day, it's about revenue and who gets to keep it, right? I remember, I'll tell you a story. In the old days of Braniff, they were flying from Buenos Aires up to Los Angeles and, and from Rio to Los Angeles. They were in trouble because the authorities there wouldn't let them take out their profits and dollars, and yet they're operating the plane. So they came up with the most unique way to make money. What they did was, what's Argentina known for? Leather. So they went into the leather airline seat business. And they scheduled their planes to fly to Buenos Aires and do a 16-hour overnight, during which time they took out all the fabric seats, put in the leather seats that they had made there, flew the plane back with leather seats, and then sold the seats, right? So they were making money literally not by selling seats to me. They were literally selling the actual airline seat to other airlines. So that's how they got around those regulations. But I'm sure you have those kinds of challenges all the time. Because there are certain countries right now, like Venezuela, nobody wants to fly there because, A, they don't pay their bills, and, B, you can't get your money out. It's part of what makes international aviation so exciting. Uh, every day is a different day. There are challenges around the world. But um, a company like United, we've got a long experience. We've got people who have dealt with things like this, like opening a station like Havana Well, then let's, let's talk about that. What were your biggest challenges? Because, first of all, you weren't alone. Every airline and their mother wanted to fly down there because it was everybody wanted to be first on their block, no doubt about it. They all wanted to fly to Havana. The Cubans were also saying, well, maybe not just Havana, but seven or eight other airports right. as well. Uh, so it wasn't like, hey, we'd like to come. Let's sign the deal. It was a little bit more complicated than that. Correct. Uh, this one definitely was unique. I mentioned we have a team that, that does this, a startup team. They're some of the best in the business. They, they've started up new services at points around the globe with, with challenges that you, you can't even conceive. Give me, give me, give me what your craziest challenge that you can talk about. Not about Cuba, just in general. Well, I mean, we're, we're, we're typically going into, into places that aren't as, as well developed commercially as, as we're used to. So it's, I mean, there's a checklist of hundreds of things that have to happen for a flight to, for a flight to happen. Um, everything from the catering, the customs, the security, 
the the uh, communications communications the provisioning the the crews and and how they're able to enter and exit the country even the type of tickets you can write that's what part of what makes uh, Havana or Cuba so unique I think the challenges we faced here that might be a little bit unique one was the time frame you know normally there's more time for startup this was a very compressed case from the point at which DOT granted rights to the point at which we need to start up so this 90 was, this days. So this is like hurry up and wait and then you better hurry up again. That's right. That's right. There was a 90-day startup condition and, and all of the carriers that, that got rights to fly are starting generally within 92 to 120 days right. of startup. Uh, on top of that, Cuba's unique in that there are still travel restrictions. So there are IT issues, technology issues, processing issues that need to be worked out on a very expedited basis. Foreign exchange issues. Foreign exchange issues, for sure. That's right. always that's always a big deal. I mean, somebody wants to pay cash for a ticket, it's like, wait a minute. Right. And, and you know, so um, our teams have worked through all those things. Um, they've applied the benefit of their experience to this unique situation. And, uh, you know, everything is going gonna, is gonna to be just fine. I, I think the thing that we never lost sight of is this is exciting. Uh, when do we ever get to serve a new point on the map that two years ago we didn't think we could? Um, and I think uh, the sort of outpouring of support for these flights was part of that sense of opportunity. Now, in the old days, and by the way, I qualify that as like last week, right? But in the <laughs> old days, you know, if you wanted to fly, and tell me if I'm wrong, but if you wanted to fly a 737 down there, then the United States would say to the Cuban airline or the other airline in other, whatever country it would be, you can fly a 737 here. And it was basically parity of seats, parity of flights, right? That's right. Is that still the case? Uh, this one's a little bit different. Um, I don't want to get into the, the technicalities of, you know, bilateral international aviation, but... Um, That's like reading my insurance policy. <laughs> this this is, a, is technically not a, a formal open skies or, or bilateral agreement. It's essentially an, an understanding to operate on comedy and reciprocity. Yeah, because if you were doing open skies, that would presume that the Cuban airline had the equipment and the, and the, and the planes to, to, to be open skies, which they don't. That's right. That's right. And there are still issues with the embargo in place and... and um, potential for asset seizures and that kind of thing that make this a little bit more complicated. Okay, I have to ask the question. If I'm Cuban and I'm living in Havana and I fly on United Airlines, can I join the frequent flyer program? Yes, you can. <laughs> <laughs> that was one of the, the more complicated things that we needed to work but out. But they wanted it, didn't they? They, they sure do. And, and See, that's the, that's the power of the frequent flyer program. That's right. Forget 50 years of, of embargo. The first thing they want, we want mileage. <laughs> That's right. And, and you know, um, of course, I'm biased, but we have the best mileage program. Oh, stop in the business, it, Steve. So. Stop it right now. <laughs> but the bottom line, even that gets negotiated. That's right. It does. Um, um, you know, again, something that makes Cuba a little bit unique is, is all of the, the body of regulations um, that don't have anything really to do with aviation that also come into play here. Things like um, foreign asset control and, right. and that, and type of who thing. can fly there? Who can fly there? The the, the 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 twelve categories. You know, it's not just open and free for anybody who wants to go. Right. But you and I both know, wink, wink. Those twelve categories are changing by the hour. We we follow the rules as as they're. Yeah, written. yeah, yeah, Mr. Humphrey Bogart <laughs> in Casablanca. Yeah, but you know what I'm saying. I mean, the, 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 those definitions are changing. Your captain speaking. There is absolutely no cause for alarm.
interesting passenger compliment on this plane today because, you know, most inaugural flights have um, dignitaries, officials, airport executives, airline executives, guys like me. But for some passengers on this plane, it's a rather emotional journey because it represents their first time back to that island nation in many, many years. And that applies to even some of the airline employees like Izel Garcia. Izel, you are a coordinator here at Newark Airport for United. But more importantly than that, you're going home. Yes. Yes. After 46 long years. <laughs> I mean, tell me the story. When, when did you leave? Why did you leave? And We left for political reasons. Uh, my parents did not agree with the government. You know, when Fidel took over, they took over all our properties and all that. My dad had to work for the uh, fields for the government as punishment, sort of, say, to be able to leave the country. After two years, we were a number and our number came up and we left the country. Eight of us, my parents, my brother, myself, two aunts uh, and a grandmother and a cousin. Wow. Wow. What year was that? May 15, 1970. Wow. So that wasn't the first exodus. It was like the second or third exodus. That's because, correct. Right? And one of the last ones, I think. Right. And then after that, it was just the Mariel boat lift. And... That is correct. Exactly. Yes. So what does this trip mean to you? Oh, my gosh. Uh, I haven't been able to sleep since they invited me <laughs> a week ago. Very emotional, you know. And for me, yes, it's going home. But also, this is home. I mean, I, I love being an American citizen, forever grateful for what this country has given me. But it's going back to my roots, and it's able to to set foot on, on land that gave me my life and being so suppressed, and, and it was taboo, you know, to go there. None of my family members have ever returned, so it's... You're the first one? I'm the first one. I'm wow. the first one, and I have a long family. I have 13 uncles, uh, you know, aunts and uncles. And, and they're and, waiting to see you. And they're waiting. To, uh, no, they're here. They're here. I have... Oh, yeah. Anybody I, back there? Yes, I have an aunt and, uh, and multiple cousins that are waiting to see me. They won't see me on this trip but it'll be a quick trip but uh but it'll be nice for me to set foot but this there. is sort of opening the door yes 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 what about the ironic thing about this flight which has been planned for quite some time is it's happening just a few days after the death of fidel castro you know for me it's actually sweeter and i don't mean that in in a morbid way that i'm not happy that somebody died but it, for me, it's better to know that that person who's created so much anger and, and, and so much horrific things to my family, too. I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm glad that he's not there anymore. <laughs> you know, it's interesting you know, because it's... we live in, well, for lack of a better term, divided times. We've just had an election that represents a divided country in this country. Mm. Uh, depending on who you talk to, there are people who are Fidel loyalists and there are people who will never, ever be happy about him. And, and a lot of deep-seated either support or deep-seated anger. I agree. I agree. And honestly, I think the supporters are mostly the generation, like my generation, that never left the country, and they don't know any better. All they know is communism, and, and they saw him as a, you know, he's fair to everybody. Fair mean in extreme poverty um, and no human rights, but they don't know any better. They don't know any better. Uh, you know, that's what I think. But yet, this, people are very, very divided. Very divided. Now, the door's been open. There are eight U.S. airlines that are flying there now or will be flying there, not just to, to Havana, but to many other airports in Cuba. Mm-hmm. Uh, from an airline perspective, and, and I'll be asking this to some of your executives as well, but from an airline perspective, uh, this represents United's first time back in Cuba since when? Oh my gosh! I think 1950 or something like that. And and for me, being an airline employee for this airline that I love, I love my company. It means the world. I'm so proud, and 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 I hope it brings us good business. And and I know it will. And I know it will. And and hooray for them for getting the bid to to leave. You know, to fly out of Newark is is phenomenal, phenomenal. And and hopefully it'll be really really good business for them. 
I have to ask this question. Will you be drinking a mojito on board? <laughs> of course. <laughs> <laughs> Will they be serving mojitos on board? I hope so. <laughs> Usually on inaugural flights, they try to make it as more, you know, homely as they can. So I'm, right. I'm hoping that, that'll be fun. And you'll do one flight a day? Is that what United Airlines is? Yes, do? yes. We're starting with one flight a day. On a 737? Mm-hmm. And this flight, this flight that you're on today as an inaugural flight, it's really just a quick turn. You're flying down. Mm-hmm. You're on the ground for about an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. Get back on the plane, <laughs> right? Take a few pictures. Yes. It's selfie time. Oh, my and God, a few. Take many pictures. Take many, right, selfie, and then right back. Yeah, and, and that's okay. You know, that's okay with me. Actually, uh, personally, it's it's better than okay because uh, the embargo hasn't been lifted. So, so but to me, it's, it's putting my feet in, in land, in, in my but land, in my But you know what, though? Country. The embargo more or less has been lifted. Yeah, yeah. I mean... It's sort of like the Claude Rains character in Casablanca, shocked to finding out that gambling is going on in Rick's casino, but collecting his winnings from the night before. Because <laughs> anybody right now, based on even the, the the most narrow definition of people to people programs, can buy a ticket and go down. That's that's correct. Yeah, that is correct. Yeah. Because in the old days, you know, it was that you had to have a, it was a very specialized itinerary. Mm-hmm. Your every minute was spoken for. You weren't allowed to go to the beach and hang out. It was more like you were going to meet, meet the people in a cultural exchange. Today, based on the Obama administration's definition of the rules, a cultural exchange is talking to your bartender. We have clearance, Clarence. Roger, Roger. What's our vector, Victor? Now our radio clearance, over. That's Clarence, over. Over. Roger. Huh? uh, This week, the launch of nonstop service. JetBlue started from Kennedy. United started from Newark, and other airlines are flying as well. The doors are not just creaking open, they're slamming open, and we haven't even dealt with cruises yet. Joining me now, the Deputy Digital Director of Condé Nast Traveler, Laura Redmond. How are you, Laura? I'm doing great. How are you? Okay, so from your perspective, what are you seeing at the magazine in terms of reader interest? It must be a frenzy. I would definitely say frenzy. I mean, Frenzy we, for Cuba. We've been talking about Cuba since, I've been thinking about Cuba for over a year. I went for the first time in February, and I'm hoping to get back next year, but um, we, our readers want the latest, and it keeps changing, well, so we readers, have to keep if updating. I, if I know your readers well they want to be the first on their block and they want bragging rights yeah that's fair is that fair enough <laughs> well who doesn't right i yeah. mean everyone wants although, to get there although knowing condon ass traveler they're looking for um a more authentic trip plus they would like a spot a spot to that feels like something they won't get elsewhere they don't want to be yeah. at a standard hotel a hotel that feels like it could be in any city they don't want a cookie cutter no not well no. you're not going to find cookie cutter hotels in havana uh, they don't exist no, although it's interesting, um, the Casa Particulares are becoming more and more popular. Well, well the Casa Particulares are interesting because there are over 8,000 Airbnb listings in Cuba as well. Right, it's their fastest growing market right now. Yeah, the, the Cuban people are becoming free traders in travel and tourism. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. And that's their largest export to begin with. It's not rum, it's not cigars, it's certainly not sugar, it's travel and tourism. Absolutely, and you know... As Americans try to get there before McDonald's gets there. That's I've the refrain that the, I keep by hearing. By the way, yeah. I've been saying that throughout the show. I've been saying, uh, my, my statement is BKFC before Kentucky Fried Chicken. And they're coming. You know they're coming. They are. They're coming. Now they're coming by commercial plane, as you said. They had been going by chartered plane and through people-to-people excursions through companies like Insight Cuba or individual groups that they had been um, booking. But I went on a people-to-people tour with Inside Cuba, and it was fantastic. You still have to we fall did, We under. did a trip with them uh, for CBS News. I oh, went good. down there about four years ago on that, yeah. Where'd you go? Most, it was Havana. But, you know, what people need to know about those tours back then 
is that your your schedule was pretty rigid. You, you, not a lot of beach time, not a lot of no pool time. You know, an occasional you know, maybe a, a sneak, uh, you know, a little sneaky mosquito, but uh, or a, a mojito. I should say. <laughs> there are mosquito? some sneaky mosquitoes oh, there too. Oh, very right sneaky now. mosquitoes. But, uh, but under that, under the the rules. Uh, you really did it that way. Now, those rules have changed dramatically. In the last few months, I'd yeah. say. When I went, it was still very much a cultural excursion, nine to five. You had to be booked. You were booked. You had to account for your time. Absolutely. And now that you can take these commercial flights, you basically just have to click a box on JetBlue or say United you had a people, people to experience with your bartender. Yeah, well, kind of. I mean, if yeah. the U.S. government decides they want to check on your trip, you know. They've never done it. Not yet. No. Well, hey, I'm I'm on the record, right? So you're on the record, yeah. Okay. But there are the twelve categories of travel that you can fall under have broadened a bit. So you can oh, go yeah. just to support the Cuban people. You can go for an um, an event, an athletic or an a cultural event. I know friends of mine who went there to support their need to drink. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, do you have a lot of like your callers? Are they saying I'm just going to try to have a tourist vacation because well, that's still off enough, the record. A lot of my audience were going to Cuba as solo renegade travelers, you know, going through other countries like Canada or Mexico or the Cayman Islands or Jamaica for the last 20 years. The Cubans never stamped their passports. They officially weren't there. Um, and they had a great time. And and the United States government, and I, I've said this throughout the show, I mean, the U.S. government certainly was aware of it. They knew about it. And I think they made a conscious decision not to prosecute anybody because to do so would be to admit how many people were actually doing it. Right. Absolutely. And I think more and more people are going to go the cruises, like you mentioned before, cruises are interesting because um, Carnival's Fathom Line had been doing these tourism trips right. that they only recently just decided scaled, to end. They scaled back, right. uh, especially in the Dominican Republic. Right. And, and the reason for that, and, and, and I think it was a, a sort of a sad awakening for them because they were trying to combine, and I, and I salute them for this, they were trying to combine a cruise experience with a volunteer vacation. And, and I think what they found is that, uh, at least in the, in the case of the Dominican Republic, pe- and by the way, their, their passenger reviews were stupendous. I mean, people just, the people who actually went and had the experience had a really great time, but there weren't enough of them. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. Get one of the most successful broadcasts in television history on your schedule with the 60 Minutes podcast. Hard-hitting investigative reports, news and culture maker interviews and in-depth profiles are waiting for you in every episode. Listen to 60 Minutes ad-free on Wondery Plus.